Welcome to another episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 211. Wow. 211? Is that right? Yeah, man. We've, we've done it somehow. Wow. That's crazy. Today, I, I know on the last episode um, where we had the questions from our friends and family and everybody that supports podcasts, we mentioned doing the Schmovie Awards for this episode, but we actually have decided to push it back one episode. Um that is an episode that we really prefer to record in person, all three of us in the same room. And due to a few different circumstances this week, we actually are doing this remotely um, in our respective homes. So John kind of threw around the idea, um, it's kind of so 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 that we can be together for the Smoothie Awards, which we really have a lot of fun doing. Um, mainly because of uh, the tabulation from Price Walker House Cooper, um, just liking going through Schmooper. all that. Schmooper, uh, whatever you want to call it, yeah. the, the, the 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 hat. No, no, no. Do we get a hat? Do we get a hat? No, that, that's a different episode. But there's lots of fun stuff happening in person for that episode. So today, John's suggestion was in in the shadow of the the big release of Avengers: Infinity War, we're going to go over some of our top MCU moments, and uh, I think we're going to each go through five. Um, to circle back a bit, the voice you're hearing now is me. I'm Steve. I'm John. I'm Ron. I know, Ronald, you were talking earlier today that you're like, I'm kind of like burned out on some of this superhero stuff. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's valid. To me, this is a good superhero fatigue episode because the moments that I remembered most from these movies weren't always the kind of big moments. And I don't know if we would say that says something about the Marvel model, that when you look at your favorite moments, they aren't necessarily the climaxes of the movies or the set pieces. They, a lot of times, are the character moments or the the jokes. And I don't honestly feel like we've had time to fully process what Black Panther was and what it represented to the culture and how excited we are about that movie. So this is kind of the shortest gap with the biggest payoff at the end of it. You know, going from Black Panther, which was huge, yeah, to totally. Infinity War, which is set up to be the hugest thing ever. It does sort of feel like like I'm, I'm going. Oh, I'm still full from from dinner, and someone's bringing around that dessert tray. Right. I hope after this episode, we can kind of sit back and be satisfied that we did our best to cover it. Oh yeah. <clears throat> the only thing I can really like in this too is you remember a couple years ago, Iron Man three. Do you remember how I felt when we were talking about that movie? When I was just like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I've seen so many <laughs> movies at this point. It's kind of similar, but yeah, you're, you're right. There are definitely some moments in the universe that aren't necessarily like, you know, people getting kicked off of cliffs and stuff like that, that I really equate to being really good moments. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. So I'm, I'm excited. It, it is cool to be in the conversation going through some of our favorite moments. I think just just before we go into... You know, this amazing culmination of something that's ne really never been done before after whatever it is, like 18 or 19 movies. Um, <clears throat> so to kind of go through each of our respective tops, I think that's kind of cool to kind of see where we're at before we go in to see Infinity War. Um, so this, this should be fun. Well, I guess since it was my suggestion that we, we approach it this way, I'll jump in. I think the Marvel films have realized all along that humor would be the way to both point out to the audience that that the characters sort of know that they're in an absurd situation you know it helps when you have a talking raccoon and you have a guy who shrinks down to an ant and yeah. a talking plant it helps to use humor to let an a, an average audience go or go oh, okay this movie knows how ridiculous it is mm. and then there are those moments of humor that are are sort of 
that tie up a lot and reveal character and push the story forward and do something that satisfies something the audience kind of needs to know. Yeah. There's one that jumped out at me as one of the best uses of humor to reveal character in all of these movies was from Black Panther, and it's M'Baku's We're Vegetarians line. Ah. Where, where you know, the T'Challa is thought dead, and the remainder of his entourage are there asking M'Baku for help. And Everett Ross, played by Martin Freeman, who is brilliantly put in the, you know, normally this is the role that Ernie Hudson gets to play. Or, you know, this is, it's the it's the black friend of the white hero normally that you see who's sort of secondary, but is 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 competent mm-hmm. and helpful, mm-hmm. but is not really there to have an arc of his own. And, and Martin Freeman does a great job of playing that sort of, here's a competent CIA agent. He's not evil. He's a friend of T'Challa's, but he's not a major player in this scene. And he has to constantly be reminded to the point where he seems to respect it, that he's he's there to sort of take orders and see how he can pitch in and help. He's not there to lead the show. Right. And so M'Baku's been kind of shutting him down in this scene, and he says this thing that, in retrospect, is ridiculous. But uh, when we were first watching the movie, we m- believed maybe this character was going to be this type of guy. He says that, you know, to Everett Ross, one more word and I'll feed you to my children. And he very quickly says, just kidding, we're vegetarians. Which is both a great joke about if you were a tribe based on a gorilla... A gorilla is a mostly vegetarian animal, so the the gorilla tribe would be vegetarians. But it also sort of takes this character who could have been incredibly problematic. In the comics, M'Baku was kind of an ape man, and you can see why this version of this film, they really wanted to get away from that notion of this character, but they kept that. They kept that he's part of the gorilla tribe, but they made it sort of... Uh, part of him being advanced and having something kind of different about him. And I don't know, from that moment on, M'Baku became probably <clears throat> probably my favorite character in that movie. Um, so yeah, I just think that's a great, it's, it's a joke. It reveals character. It also helps with Everett Ross's character because you see that for a moment, he's willing to believe that this guy is going to crush him and feed him to his children. You know, he actually believes he's talking to a savage on some level mm. and he has his, his nose kind of rubbed in that assumption. And so does the audience. And I think to the audience that is worried that M'Baku is about to become a caricature or that he is kind of a caricature. I feel like that line just gives that final thing that just says this character is not who you thought he was right. from the beginning. Uh, Steve? Yeah, I'll throw mine in next. Um, so the one thing I did kind of find that when I was going through all these moments, like I, I did kind of feel like I didn't have a whole lot of like the humor beats in my choices. Like there's a lot of just more, I don't know, like just moments, action, things like that that really stood out to me when I when I first started thinking about this. And um, one of the action set pieces that stands out to me um, – I kind of tried to approach it from like having like a moment of humor, um, a fight sequence of, you know, maybe one-on-one versus like a group fight sequence or whatever. And the one that stood out to me when I was thinking of the one-on-one fighting was in um, a scene that I love and I think is incredible is the scene in Captain America Winter Soldier um, that ends up basically being the Winter Soldier versus Captain America on the street. And basically the scene starts with them driving along a freeway, Black Widow's in the car. Um, you know, Steve Rogers is, I think, driving. And um, there's like an agent in the back and uh, Falcon's in the car with them. And, you know, the Winter Soldier, it goes from like, you know, him leaping on the vehicle to uh, a fight scene on the freeway to him jumping off. And then he fights Black Widow and it's a cool scene. You know, with Black Widow kind of showing off her fighting skills and some of the tech that she has when she's able to dis- disable his arm. And what it culminates in is really just Steve Rogers fighting the Winter Soldier. 
the flight choreography is really incredible and um a lot of use of removing and reintroducing the shield into the fight sequence and um ultimately coming to the point where steve is kind of gets an upper hand and is able to pull off uh the mask and when he's unmasked and and you know that that look that he gets after all this fight sequence um when he realizes who it is and and he says bucky and the winter soldier just replies who the hell's bucky i just i love that sequence i think it's probably one of my favorite one-on-one fighting sequences in the entire um you know mcu there's not a lot of cg there's a lot of choreography a lot of hand-to-hand combat that's shot really well by the russo brothers and um it's one of the things that really kind of threw throws winter soldier when i think about it to you know as one of my favorite films in the mcu but that fight sequence to see these two friends battling one another not knowing who the other is at that moment and then that moment of realization is just um you know, it's just a, you can feel the shock in in Steve Rogers, you know, in his face and his look in that in that and when he says Bucky, um, I just thought it was a great moment. In general, I think the action in Winter Soldier is probably the best action of all of the Marvel films. Yeah, like the best for that visceral feeling because yeah. the Russo brothers handled handled the action in Civil War well as well but it was a little bit more cgi and a little bit more going on and it was just you know a little bit more frantic yeah but i feel like those fight scenes in in winter soldier um there's another one in the movie that i would i would have almost been hard to pick which fight scene was the best from that film but i agree the emotional stakes in that moment um really really goose it along Mm -hmm. cool um my first one is from 2008, 2008's Iron Man. Um, it's a cave scene with Iron Man. It's kind of an homage mm. to one of the first Iron Man suits um, from the oh, man, it's like the 60s. Like the big clunky one? Yeah, the big clunky one. And he's, he's like getting stuck in the cave and he's trying to defend himself as people are shooting him and hitting him with grenades and stuff like that. I just think that scene is really an interesting sort of uh, introduction to the eternal battle that Iron Man's going to have with constantly tweaking the suit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not a thing that stops. And I think that's one of the cooler parts about who he is. Like, you know, Iron Man, like Batman and the, in the DC universe doesn't have any superpowers. It's just his smarts and trying to make himself better. And this is the first real battle that we get to see with him. And it is it is very clunky. It is very weird. But he winds up escaping from this cave where he was trying to get rid of some bad guys. It's just a really well done scene. And it's just a kind of hint of things to come. So I, I really like that scene. Don't you think that's also part of that very grounded ramp up they used oh yeah you know the iron man movie as a way of starting with something very ground or you know it's it's still basically fantasy but that idea that you see him building the suit and that you see that it's kind of shitty at first that it's not elegant at first i do think that was uh um it reminds me of in the toby Maguire spider-man films one of the best portions of the movie was when he's wearing like a modified like sweatpants and sweatshirt and he's learning how to use his powers i i I always love that part i don't want him to always milk that but when it's done well i like when you get to see the kind of learning curve of what eventually will become this person's you know superpower basically yeah Yeah, that's that's so good to watch 
And you're right, Ronald, it's a visual Easter egg for fans of the comic because the early Iron Man drawing is this amazingly unsleek, un aerodynamic yeah. looking yeah, thing. Definitely. It looks like he could barely walk in it. And it and it, it looked even worse when he was walking in it in the movie. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> for my next moment, I have chosen a moment in a film that I think is is in the lower tier for most people of Marvel films. And it's a movie that tried to do a lot. And I think it did something successfully and other things not successfully. And that would be Avengers Age of Ultron. One of my favorite moments in any Marvel movie is the moment where Hawkeye is giving Scarlet Witch a pep talk, trying to get her to come out and join the fight. And it's not so much the dramatic stakes of her joining the fight that matter. It's the fact that in this story, we've seen that Clint Barton, uh, who is Hawkeye, uh, played by Jeremy Renner, who up to this point really didn't get much to do in any of these films, and he's a pretty decent actor, so it was good in Age of Ultron to see him kind of rounded out as a character. Um, and they may have laid it on a little thick, but this the scene where he's talking to Scarlet Witch, and he's finished talking to her, and he's about to go back out into the fight, and he's kind of talking to himself, and he says, the city is flying, we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. <laughs> I, I, I just love that as an acting moment for Jeremy Renner, and as a character moment that, again, totally defines who this this version of this character is. He you know, in the comics he's not a family man. In the movies they've decided he's he's the normal one. You know, he's the one who doesn't have powers. Um and he's uh he's we see that he's got a reason that he would just want to shit can the superhero thing and go home. Uh uh so yeah, I think that moment really plays in the movie and as just an isolated bit of <clears throat> one of the best examples of them underlining the the normal humans who are caught up in this crazy mess. I uh for my next one, I, I guess I'll go with a, a scene from the first Avengers film, which is probably what a lot of people... This is one of the ones that most people will, will probably go to uh, as a favorite. But, I mean, it deserves... A, the dimension is, is simply the, uh, the like, assemble scene in New York after uh, Loki is... You know, he manages to open up the portal and the Jachari are coming to Earth. And, you know, the, the five of them are... Or the six of them are... Well, the five of them are together on the street and, like, Bruce Banner rides up on the motorcycle. And, I mean, they're, they just all get together at one time. And and he says something like, that's my secret, I'm always angry when, when Captain America tells him to get angry. And, um, you know, you get that shot, like that 360 shot of them all just kind of ready. And um, as Captain America is kind of, like, dishing out what everybody's supposed to do... I, I just love it when he he ends the little directive that he's giving, and he just says, "And Hulk, he's got a beat," and he says, "Smash," and I did, and then that shot, you get that three sixty shot, and it's just like, it was that phase one culmination of just seeing them on the screen together, and um, you know, being able to fight together and these characters together on the screen for the first time was was just a really cool shot. Steve, that's one of my uh, near misses on my also rans. As I just have written down Avengers in the street. Yeah. And I remember when the trailer that had that shot in it, the first big trailer that really showed them all together. Yeah. Um, and, and also possibly maybe establishing an early Marvel tradition of spoiling some of the best moments in the trailer. <laughs> but, you know, maybe we'll get to that another time. Right. But I just remember getting like, and I don't even have a, a big emotional attachment to any of these particular characters. Like going back, these weren't my comic book characters necessarily. I was a Hulk fan at different points, and sure, you know, I liked these other characters. But just seeing that they had done it, I think I actually whispered, "They did it." Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, my moment is—I mean, I don't, I don't know if people consider this like 
I don't know. I think this is huge just because it it's just such one of the better intros I've seen in my entire life. And that's uh, the intro to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with Baby Groot uh, playing electric light orchestras, uh, Mr. Blue Sky, and dancing around. Fuck, man. I, I don't think I've ever been ready for a movie more than when I saw that moment. Um, say what you may about the second one. It still had a lot of heart, and it was a really fun film. And it just worked really well to me. It's not perfect, but it's so fucking fun. And that scene, to me, kind of created the the feeling that you pretty much have for the majority of the film. Um, and if you, you want a little Easter egg, Google James Gunn, Baby Groot, and you get to see him do the actual dance that Baby Groot did as he kind of ran around that circle as that monster was attacking everybody. And I, I just think it's such a fun scene. So, Is it? That's such a great choice, Ronald, because, and I love that you pointed out how happy you were at that moment. I think there's something about that, like, when you love a band and you get the new album, yeah. the first song, you're so ready for it. You're so there for it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think that I think we all had so much goodwill built up towards the idea that when we saw the first Guardians, we were like, yes, bring on a sequel, give it to us now, three years, okay, we'll wait. And then I remember, I believe we saw that together, Ronald, and I believe we looked at each other when we were sitting down to see it with this air of like, it's here, it's Christmas morning, <laughs> oh, and yeah, it just definitely. felt good. You just felt like you have so much goodwill bound up, and that moment, that scene is such just an explosion of taking advantage of your goodwill. It's like James Gunn thought, what would people, if they liked the first movie and they liked this and they liked all this, what would they love to see? Well, they would love to see a moment that's like that beginning of Guardians 1 with the sort of musical, extended musical break. Um, but deepen it with all these other characters. And, and also, by the end of that scene, you totally get the idea that Groot is a, is a baby now that everybody sort of takes care of because throughout that scene, everybody has their own moment of trying to keep him out of trouble, you know. No, it's beautiful and, and, and hilarious, and that's a fantastic song, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. You're up, John. Well, my my next pick will bridge nicely from the Guardians theme. It's another moment I believe I've talked about on the show a few times, like the Hawkeye speech. It's the moment in the bar where uh, Peter Quill has left his his new ragtag team alone for half a second to take care of some business, and he comes in and sees that that, that uh, Drax and Rocket have gotten into an argument that has spilled over into potential violence, and I believe Rocket has a gun out, <laughs> and he's getting ready to kill Drax and possibly Gamora and possibly everyone. And Peter Quill has to come in and kind of make peace between these characters. And so it's fun to see him assuming that sort of uh, caring older brother slash dad role that he sort of begrudgingly takes on for, for this group. But it also really, up till that moment, maybe I had been sort of questioning why they got Bradley Cooper to do the voice of Rocket Raccoon uh, and why he was doing kind of a Bronx cab driver <laughs> sort of voice. <laughs> it just I wasn't sure what was going on with that character, having loved it from my, my childhood. But I was like, Bradley Cooper, really? Couldn't they get somebody who's like a great voice actor or a quirky guy? Why do they get the good-looking guy? Um, <laughs> and in this scene, uh, Rocket just, you see his vulnerability. You see how hurt he is. You see how everybody kind of kicking him around and treat, even though he is a little asshole, everyone kind of treating him like an asshole is just making it worse, you know? Um, you know, he, he says, he called me vermin and she called me rodent. 
and he start, he's kind of crying. It's that kind of anger and losing control of your emotions at the same time that's just so vulnerable. And I'd read somewhere that James Gunn said that he felt the most akin to Rocket of all the characters. And that's such a lot of depth to put into this computer-generated raccoon, you know, yeah. that we've only met 45 minutes ago. Um, so, yeah, I remember being very affected by that scene because it ends with this sort of uneasy truce and you get a sense that this family might figure out how to function. But you've, you've seen at that point that Rocket has a very uh, a very short fuse and a very thin skin and he's and some other mixed metaphors that I could use to describe <laughs> this character, who's probably one of my favorite ones in all the movies. But that moment is just great and it gets me every time. Like I just feel that welling up in my throat, those moments when your, your feelings are so hurt and you're so mad and you just don't know how to bottle it up. It's a good scene, yeah. Uh, it's my turn. Um, so I'll go from one massive pair up of many Avengers in one scene um, to another, and that'll be the airport sequence in Captain America's Civil War. Oh, um, yes. So, I mean, I think even if you remove that scene from the MCU, it's probably it's all it could you know it's in a conversation of being one of the coolest, best looking, well staged, choreographed, whatever um, action sequences like like any movie like period like i think the way that they were able to uh you know introduce and you know spider-man in costume into that fight and and work him in um you know grabbing the shield and seeing uh you know captain america face off against spider-man and getting ant-man in there and giant man and and hawkeye shooting ant-man on an air it was so just well staged that so many times you see big set pieces like that, it's really easy to kind of get lost in what's even happening or who you should even be watching or who you should be caring about in that moment. But again, I think that the Russo brothers, and this is why I, I have so much excitement about to see what they do with the next Avengers film, they just have a great understanding and a great touch in terms of how they, they put these action sequences in place. And I think that, you know, the... The, the ability to use CGI in a way that, that is helping us understand what's happening in the scene as opposed to muddying it up or confusing what's happening. Um, but yeah, just to see that massive overflow of, you know, these, this war of words uh, in this, in this you know, where, where the Avengers have kind of separated in their, 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 their thoughts about what's right and what's wrong and who's kind of aligned with Captain America and who's aligned with Iron Man and to that point, it had all just been words and disagreement and, you know, things like that. And to see that kind of battle happen. Uh, and, and, and again, I'll stress, like, importantly, to, to introduce Spider-Man in that manner. And so just so well. And it's it's like a it's like a applause worthy moment when you see this stuff happening. And um, I know that when we saw it together, there were so many moments throughout it that people were just like losing their shit watching that scene, you know, whether it's Spider-Man coming in or um, him grabbing the shield or again, or Hawkeye shooting Ant-Man on the arrow. There's just so much to enjoy and just to kind of drop your jaw at. Um, and, and oh yeah. And, and Ant-Man has that line, something just flew in me. I remembered that. And that, that's just yeah. like a fucking hilarious line. And, um, I don't know, man. It's just such it's such an iconic scene now, and I'm sure that they're going to attempt to one up it in Infinity War. Um, but I think they accomplished so much, um, just kind of getting Spider Man in the mix and showing this battle. Um, and, and you know, while there's no consequence in this battle or, or real stakes in this battle, 
uh, for the characters, it does show a culmination of actual like physical fighting between them outside of just disagreements and words to that point. And um, it's just a fucking treat to look at. So I feel like what happens with War Machine is enough of a thing to say they're showing that in this PG-13 world that that this that that these friends just fought and did something awful to to one of their friends yeah. you know so i do think that it had the emotional impact of of brutal life or death stakes even though you're right the characters were mostly trying not to hurt each other but whoever they were fighting they were trying to contain them right i, I just want to say steve you kind of highlighted this but i think it's worth mentioning how every character in that fight feels like if you had been following them this scene would belong in their movie if this was an ant-man movie this scene would be a great scene in an ant-man movie if this yeah. was a spider-man movie this would be it's a great point and i've heard people say that that felt like too much but I agree with you that the Russos showed a real knack for giving each character just enough. I mean, let's bear in mind, this is the same movie that introduced Black Panther, you know, uh, 20 minutes before that. And we yeah. already felt like we knew him by this point. It's yeah. crazy. So, no, it, it was a very successful juggling of many characters, which does give me hope for Infinity War, which I hope is not just one explosion after another. What, what do you think of that, Ronald? Like, kind of how they have handled these big action scenes, these big money scenes? Mm, well... That's actually related to so my my answer is gonna be my pick, which is also the same thing that Steve picked, but also it'll answer kind of how I feel about it. I mean, in general, Civil War was one of the movies I was the most hesitant about, mostly because you know I, I had read Civil War, you had read Civil War. There were all these joke memes that kind of showed what the real Civil War looked like in the comics and what it looked like in the movies. Like, it was very scattered. There weren't as many people. So my fear was, would it have the same feeling when they clashed that the comic book did when they had an actual the, the Civil War in the comics? And it, it more than exceeded it. It more than exceeded it. Particularly the way that it happened, because it, it was like, um, it, it happened based on some tension i don't know if you remember specifically what started the the big fight but iron man and captain america were in a pretty heated argument and then spider-man takes it takes his shield because their moms were both named martha or something right? i can't remember <laughs> yeah. some, some shit but yeah yeah but that that kind of kicked it off like it was the first thing you're like oh fuck a spider-man and, and and then it just got better and better and better and better and better. And then it also didn't feel as gimmicky as I thought it was going to be. It, it kind of just felt like they were using whatever they could in their moment of desperation as they were trying to survive and not kill each other at the same time, which was really interesting. So I, I love that scene. And I think they handle, with the exception of Age of Ultron, I think that every big fighting scene that they've done up until this point has been kind of incredible. Um, and I was going to use the one that Steve was saying, like the battle outside between Bucky and Captain America. But I had a feeling that somebody else was going to say it because it's such a good fucking scene. So, yes, to answer your question, I think they've handled it very well. And it's it's interesting how they take the little tools that they have, the little people that they have. I, I'm not trying to say little. The, the very few amount of people that they have in comparison to bigger bigger wars that have existed in the comic books and they make it work in such a cool way 
And you almost kind of forget about the comic book stuff after that. You're like, oh, I like this smaller sort of battle royale. So, yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> you know, you're right. It's six people on each side rather than 20 people. Right. But I think that what they do is they make it feel that monumental because it just fills the screen. Um, are you, uh, is that your final thought on the, the battle, Ronald? So that was your pick? Yeah, yeah. That was my pick. All right, my fourth pick. There was one moment that stood out to me as both important to the character and kind of important to the whole franchise. The whole franchise got started with Iron Man. Um, And the moment at the end where at the press conference where Robert Downey Jr. slash Tony Stark says, uh, I'm Iron Man. Not only is it a nod to the song that then starts, um, but it's also this character moment that that just sets up that here's a guy whose ego is not going to let him have a secret identity. And that has been so important. If you think about that, that is the, that's the guy we've been watching through all these movies. And yeah. whether we love him or hate him, there's something built into Tony Stark where you're supposed to kind of think he's, he's full of himself. I don't, I don't know. I just think it was a, I walked out of that first Iron Man movie buzzing. And a lot of it had to do with that kind of uh, iconoclastic moment, a moment that didn't seem like it was trying to build up this giant mythic character. It seemed like it was trying to say, this guy is a character just like anyone else Robert Downey Jr. would play. These characters that weren't necessarily part of a connected universe yet, you know? It didn't have the weight of all that. Yeah. It was just a movie about a guy. My next one uh, is one that I couldn't wait to talk about um, because... Which is, you know, why I saved it for second to last. Um, but I think about from when we started this podcast and even in just a recent memory of like my experiences going to the movies with my friends, with you guys, with family, whatever it has been in terms of theater experiences. Um, when I And then I narrow it down to just the relationship to the MCU. Um, the scene, a scene that stands out to me is... I can remember Ronald and I going to see the first Avenger films together, the first Avengers film together at the White Marsh Theater, and the scene at the end of the movie where the Hulk beats the shit out of Loki, and both of us <laughs> sitting forward in our chairs and like just being giddy, and I think I even like clapped and yelled something out loud. I don't even remember like that many detail, but. It's one of those moments, just even beyond an MCU moment, just a theater-going experience, um, with all the all the goodwill and all, or just the way that they built up Loki in the film and in the Thor films, so that you know, you you've kind of like you kind of have this goodwill towards his character, and and to see him confront the Hulk and belittle him and see him as just this, you know. I don't even know, just somebody beneath him. And I think he says, uh, I'm a god. And then Hulk just beats the shit out of him <laughs> and calls him a puny god and walks off. And you see Loki kind of smash into the ground and just whimpering. Um, it's hilarious. It's 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 just uh, a cheer moment. And people, I can remember the, the audience just like cheering which is not like really a super common thing in in my experience in theaters much anymore. I mean, it happens, but um, and I I don't know. I just remember sitting next to Rano and like looking at him and both of us just being like, like just like yes, that that was like that was amazing. Yeah. Um, and you know, it it was just a really cool. It was a really cool sequence and um and you know and and mentioning the the assemble scene earlier like kind of seeing how this scene come where it comes after that scene um 
I don't know, man. It was just so freaking fun. That's I think of like when I started talking earlier in the podcast, like a lot of action sequences come out. And there's definitely a lot of great one-liners and zingers and things like that. And this scene has the puny god zinger, and I think that's hilarious. Um, but it's just it's just that moment of like the ego of Loki and just what he sees the Hulk as, or this, um, you know, there's just this monster, literally, and. Just to watch the Hulk beat the shit out of him with with zero effort, um, it's just it's just great. I absolutely love it. That is such a Joss Whedon moment too. You know, to take this moment that you've built up absolutely, and and to deflate the moment in a in a in a way that feels like anti cinematic. But then when you think about the logic of the situation, yeah. you're like, there's no other way yeah. this could have gone. You know, it would have been cool to see them fight. Yeah, but no, that's that's not going to be a fight with the Hulk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you got, Ron? Um, so mine is actually uh, 2008 Edward Norton's Hulk, which nobody gives credit to as like kind of forming the version of Hulk that we see in the Avengers movie. I'm sure Edward Norton gives it credit. <laughs> I, I know. Quietly in his dark mansion. Right, as he punches a wall. Punches a picture of Mark Ruffalo. Right. Because... Without this Hulk, without this this culmination of you know the you know we had the Ang Lee one, which was okay. This one was really solid, and it it got into the subtlety of just how vicious the Hulk could be at times. And one of the scenes is when the government kind of attacks him, and he's running beside a a tank, and instead of like tackling it he nudges it with his shoulder and it just kind of flips a couple times and i i liked how that was like he that scene was a really well shot scene to me but that in particular was kind of a moment where i was like man hulk has like a there's like a it's like a dance when it comes to his destruction and that's the first time we got to see it in a way that didn't look kind of corny the way that the ang lee one did something kind of it's like a dance that he had like if you look at if you look at those scenes they are so similar to the ones in avengers and everything else that he does up after that that it's kind of scary right you know what i mean and i think that that's the beginning of the hulk that we cut we've come to know yeah um and i don't think people give him enough credit because he was a great hulk wasn't there a lot of fighting in the editing room between yes. the director and Ed Norton or something yes. like that? Like he like rewrote the script too, I think. What do you think it would be like if we'd had the Norton Hulk in um, you know, Ragnarok or in the Avengers films or whatever? Do you think um I love Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner in this role, but who do you think is the better is the better Hulk, the better Banner? Mm. Uh, I got to give it to Ruffalo. Yeah. Uh we've got to see more sides. Of, I, now, I, I tell you this, I tell you this, I wouldn't have said that <laughs> until I saw Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok kind of solidified it for me. I mean, he was always great in the other ones, but yeah. Him kind of functioning by you know as Banner in this world, I thought that was incredible, man. And it's something that they just didn't show prior to that. Not in the way that they showed in Ragnarok. It's like you're, you're seeing Banner as separate from the Hulk. You know, in Ragnarok, yeah. Hulk is more of a character. And so right, you, you right. get a sense of who Banner is as opposed to the Hulk. Whereas before, it felt like you have Banner and then you have the monster he turns into. Right. Mark Ruffalo is kind of a vulnerable actor. He's got this softness to him. And I think it's interesting that he's playing the Hulk. So, well, does that bring it to me in my final pick? Yes, sir. All right. In uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2... Uh, 
I, I guess I'll just say a character has died. <laughs> and earlier in the film, there was some question as to whether this character um, had been ostracized from his group, the Ravagers, that he was part of. And at the end of the movie, you see that not only was he not fully ostracized from the group, but the group is now coming back to respect him and to give him a proper Ravager's funeral, um, which involves like fireworks and a bunch of stuff that, you know, normally wouldn't have a lot of weight. It would feel a little mawkish. I think the end of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, it, it really piles on the sort of emotional moments. And I think some of the moments work better than others. But a moment that really snuck up on me and continues to have impact on me, and even as I think about it, I just love the emotions that it has in it, is when Craglin, played by Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, who also does the mocap work for Rocket Raccoon. Unfortunately, they don't have Bradley Cooper uh, crawling around in a green leotard for six months <laughs> on, a, on a soundstage. Big surprise. But uh, where Craglin reacts to the funeral... And it's this yelp of joy and sadness that he gives. He's, he's sort of heartbroken, but he's also overcome with emotion. And it's this character who was a, a tertiary character in the first movie, and he's a secondary character in the second movie. And by the end of the second movie, he's kind of part of the family that you have come to know of these characters. And it just, it just, it's, they've got this Cat Stevens song playing on the soundtrack, Father and Son, which again, should be such a cheesy moment, such a cheesy choice. But the way James Gunn uses the music in these films to, to underscore the emotions of the characters and to sort of supply the kind of character building of who would select this song and why this song would be, um, you know, uh, being played by this character at this time. It's just, to me, it's the culmination of all that stuff. And this, this little moment with Craglin where we see that he's, he's sort of surprised and overjoyed that his friend, who he always appreciated, that his friend is finally getting the appreciation that he feels he deserved. Um, uh, I didn't expect there to be a, a beautiful moment with this character at the end of this movie. So I think that is, is uh, the moment I put at the top just because, the, you know, of all the clips that I watched today, it's the moment that when he kind of yelps and it's this sort of Howard Dean kind of <laughs> animal yelp. It's 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 just this kind of beautiful moment. I don't know if the moment stood out to you guys or if you remember that ending as particularly oh, yeah, powerful at all, do. but that was what I, I loved that. And particularly that character seeing his friend get respected and that overwhelming him. I just feel like, I don't know, that's that's such a sweet thing to have happen. I love that you called a Howard Dean scream. I really like that moment. That's <laughs> 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 funny. Oh, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so... My final MCU moment, and it's hands down my favorite scene in any Marvel film, and one of my favorite scenes in movies of the last, I don't even know how long, um, only because of how invested I am in the whole character arc of, of, of Captain America. Um, and I always, I, I've said this before, and I've said it to friends, and I, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I always mention it because I feel like it is such a... It's proof of how well they've done with developing characters in this world, and specifically Captain America. Um, you know, we always talk about I'm, I'm the one that's not the comic guy. I'm, I know some stuff. I, I've read some stuff, but I'm definitely not versed in it like you guys are. And through the course of these films, uh, the Captain America films, and even the other films that he's uh, been in, I mean, I've grown to absolutely love the character of Captain America and Steve Rogers and Chris Evans' performance as as this in this role, um, and it, it just goes through this whole experience of not knowing much about it, knowing who the character was, growing with First Avenger, the Winter Soldier, the Civil War, and and just seeing how much I cared about what he stands for and and what 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 his point in arguing with Tony is and his loyalty and defense of Bucky and. 
all these things that that he stands for i just i don't know it's it just really hits me and at the the last 15 minutes of civil war basically um and more specifically when tony stark finds out you know what bucky has done as the winter soldier um to his parents and in the moment just before where he's almost basically willing to compromise and 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 understand where steve's coming from and things like that and and what 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 manipulation Zemo was able to do to kind of dispel that information to Tony and and basically just how it jumps off from that point and to see the fight sequence as they're climbing up those racks in the chute and fighting Steve and Bucky are fighting Tony and Tony's fighting Bucky and Tony's fighting it's just that that interplay as Bucky is trying to get out and Steve is trying to help him get out and Tony has like one of his lifters busted and he's doing it, you know, he's, he's doing it with like one leg and he's, and, he, and his, um, sight thing, like the shark, uh, whatever the, 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 um, I don't even know what the word is. I'm blanking out. Like being able to shoot the, the phasers like perfectly at it. Viewfinder. Yeah, something maybe? like that. Like he goes into like manual mode. He's like eyeballing it. It's just this great build to you thinking that he's going to get out to the moment you realize that they're going to, that they're stuck in there and that they're about to beat the shit out of one another. And we always talk about stakes. And, you know, maybe the, in the end here, there aren't any, like, casualties. But there's some pretty big stakes. Um, and, you know, emotionally and physically for some characters. Um, but as it culminates and you see Iron Man fighting a team-up of Bucky and Captain America... Um, I, I still watch this scene. I've watched this like five times and talking about this this episode with friends and like trying to figure out what I was going to pick. And I mean, there was no doubt in my mind it was going to be on my list, but I've watched it over and over and over. And it, it gives me cold chills. Like the moment that Bucky jumps into the fight and tosses the shield back to Captain America and they're like bouncing it back and forth and just trying to beat, you know, trying to stay afloat in this fight against this Iron Man. And what he has abilities to do is just phenomenal. And there's a couple lines of dialogue that just give me cold chills. The the moment when they break from the action and Steve says that this is not going to change what happened. And Tony says, I don't care. He killed my mom. It like gives me like an emotional like chill through my body. And they go back to the fight. And there's a, another moment where, you know... Um, Tony says something to Steven and he goes back to the line from the first Avenger um, when he was the puny Steve Rogers and he says to the thug in the alley, I could do this all day. You know, he has that moment in this scene where he kind of pulls that line back up as he's being beaten down by Iron Man. And uh, he says it again, and it's just like, it's amazing. I, I almost feel like this is a twist, as though I am uh, Zemo. Was that the name of Daniel Brühl's character? Yeah, in, um, yeah Zemo. That, as, though I, as though I lured you into this trap, because I really couldn't decide whether to put the um, I could do this all day moment yeah. <laughs> as my number one. And I thought to myself, you know, Steve will probably put that as his number one. <laughs> so I can, I can put my Ravager's funeral at number one. So the twist is I knew you would choose that one. I knew that that would be one of your favorites. Yes. Anyway, I, I agree. I think that character and that scene and that line um, are so important to the whole Marvel universe. And, uh, and um, I'm glad I knew you so well. <laughs> it's just uh it's just such an amazing scene and like when they come out of that line and they're battling still and you know bucky kind of gets the upper hand and tries to pull out that arc reactor and blows his arm off and at that moment 
you know, that's that hero shot of like you get that shot through the concrete columns of Iron Man sh- like firing his like blaster and 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 Captain America just deflecting it with the shield and you have that like iconic moment that I- I'm sure is maybe a-, a panel in the comics that you guys could probably reference, but it's just such an epic shot. Like I want that as like a wallpaper on my computer or something like that. Like it's just such a cool the the color tones of the of the blue and the red and just like the way that it's composed it's it's just such an epic moment and and i mean and that's all to say at the same time that all this is happening the black panther is out on the on the rocks kind of basically detaining zemo and like preventing him from being able to take an easy way out mm-hmm. and you know realizing what he's managed to do to manipulate these characters to try to kill one another and that's all happening outside at the same time that these leads are inside trying to kill one another. And it's just it's just an amazing sequence. And like I said, like even outside of the MCU, it's one of my favorite scenes in movies, period. Like I I just I, I get shook watching that sequence. And and I and I just have this image of like them tossing that shield around. It just it's so awesome to watch. And uh and that 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 team up that they finally that Bucky and Steve finally have like when their powers are at max and they're fighting together and like they'd always intended to do is just it's just amazing and I absolutely love it. And it's so ironic that it's against a guy who we love, you know, a, a hero that we right. love. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think you're right. It's it's all the more painful because. Um, we see how it almost i mean of course we know there's a fight because we've seen we know what this movie's supposed to be but they show right. you this almost possible truce and this way of looking at it where tony might yeah. might come yeah. to see bucky as a person who was victimized yeah. and then there's something yeah. that he just can't bear and you don't blame him and it it's not the conflict yeah. it's not the conflict that was brewing throughout the rest of the movie that's what's interesting is they diffuse the whole sokovia accords conflict uh, and yeah. then the, what actually makes them fight is something you can't get past, you know? Yeah, I'm, there's just so much to love. And, then, and I forgot to even mention the line where he says, like, I'm sorry, he's my friend. And, and and I think it may be earlier in the scene or earlier in that conflict, like, and Tony says something. What does he say? Like, I was too one time or something like that. He says he's my friend and he says, so was I. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, so good. It's good to see. Mm. All right, Ronald, what you got? Take us home. All right, so um, a theme in a lot of the Marvel movies is family and friends. And up until the last Marvel offering, we had never really seen a sibling interaction quite like the one between uh, Black Panther and his sister. And as a person who has a little sister who takes digs at him whenever she can... Um, who's super witty and smart and still, you know, no matter what you do as a person, you know, you could, I could go up on stage, make hundreds of people laugh. When I get off stage, I'm still the washed up older brother of Rachel. You know what I mean? So, um, the scene with Black Panther and his sister, uh, Shuri is one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen in a film, not even just like superhero films, just in general. I You just don't see those interactions between siblings ever in something done quite as well as that was done. And with as much chemistry and, uh, you know, and, and she gets the upper hand. I think that's kind of the cool part about 
this yeah. movie is that um, it's it's a weird idea that you know for for everybody else you have to be this person, but when you get home around these strong women, you're just who you are. You know what I mean? And and you often find that women are much smarter and and well planned out and strategic and giving and caring than you could ever be. And there's something about how that all kind of culminates through that interaction that I could relate to. What are those? Yeah, that's yeah. the best. That's a great scene, man. It's just, you know, it's. I'm sure everybody felt kind of similar when they were watching it, but yeah, that that scene really did something to me, man. So now Shuri just pops as a character. She's a highlight of the whole franchise. Yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, let's think about the way. As recently as Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi's character of Korg was also a character that really popped and gave people a lot of pleasure. So I think it's interesting how at this late date they're still adding new characters who kind of steal steal the whole universe for you, uh, you know, yeah. for a little bit. Um, you know, Shuri popped yeah. up in the trailer for Infinity War, and I was already going like, "How are they handling her? Does she look good? Are they shooting her the right way?" You know, <laughs> I think people are very protective of these of these characters. Right, right. Someone tweeted about uh, how in um, Civil War, Black Panther is the most mature, together character you've ever seen. And then he goes home and is instantly roasted by all the women in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I know that feel. Well, did we just do it? Those are all some good picks. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we just did it. Um, you know, one character that's completely missing from any of these moments, uh, and more or less all of these movies, is Thanos. And we're about to see a whole movie that's trying to trade on the awesome menace of Thanos. What do you guys think? Do you think they're going to be able to pull off what they keep saying they've tried to do, which is create a character that I've heard comparisons to Killmonger, that he's going to be a, a, a villain who could be the hero of a, of a different movie? I mean, do, do, what do you get from the, from the pixels that you've seen thus far of that? I guess plus Josh Brolin's voice, but uh, mostly pixels. What do you think of Thanos? Right now, he's looking bland as fuck. Um, that's, that's the one thing that I could say out of all the things right now that are working for Infinity Wars, that's not quite working for me yet. I hit his motivations aren't quite I'm not quite getting. I'm not quite getting who he is. I'm not quite getting and hopefully they at least do a good job of of expressing his motivations in a way that makes sense to us. Cause right now it's not making any sense. We haven't seen him enough. We haven't heard him enough. He hasn't done enough, and he's just kind of popping up, saying these ominous things to everybody, and it's not it's not lining up to me yet. So I don't know how you guys feel about it, but mm. what do you think, Steve? I mean, I'm, I'm I gotta be honest. Like I, I feel like they've earned my trust at this point. I mean, especially the Russo brothers, and I mean, I think they realize like how important it is like you're saying to make this work i mean I, I get what ronald's saying and that's all absolutely true i mean they definitely have it seems maybe not done enough like groundwork to this point but i mean i i gotta believe that there is a way that they've achieved it in this film much like you know we know nothing about killmonger in black panther and in a matter of two hours you know they successfully made him you know arguably one of the best villains in the comic book movies period. Um, and I know this is a bigger stage, bigger stakes, you know, a bigger team up film. So, I mean, it's a bigger character and it ties into every other Marvel film in some way. Um, 
but I mean, I don't know. I, I've got to be, I got to have confidence. Uh, cause I, I, I just want it to work so badly that I, I got to believe that they have some angle that they're going to, you know, humanize or, or give some sort of arc or some sort of backstory, something, um, to the character to, to make him, like you said, John, you know, the hero of a different movie or hero of a different story, you know, there's something there that is, uh, identifiable and relatable and, you know, maybe even questionable in terms of motive and, you know, eth- you know, I don't know, morals and things like that, but I, I just hope that's all I can do is like, I, I can only hope. I think that what you said about them earning our trust at this point is very, uh, pretty much right on for the way the way that I feel. I I, I share Ronald's uh, lack of being convinced by anything I've seen just yet. Well, we'll know shortly. Less than a month. Oh yeah, can't wait. Definitely. Well, though those are our favorite moments from the MCU so far. Maybe some new ones in Infinity War will make our list, or or you know get onto some one of our lists. Um, but like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we can definitely promise the next episode that we do, episode 212, will be our annual Schmovie Awards. Um, <clears throat> that'll be coming out two weeks from now, um, from when you're listening to this podcast. Um, so if you have any ideas for categories, I mean, John usually does a pretty great job and we've been kind of brainstorming. I got a couple ideas, um, for cool categories, different things that we haven't done before. Definitely email us at movieshmovie at gmail.com. Or you can comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movieshmovie. Um, in terms of subscribing to the podcast, if you want to help us share it, you can find the podcast on really any podcast platform, whatever you prefer to listen to your podcast through, including Spotify, which we're finally on, which uh, we are all really excited about, and Ronald is especially excited about, because um, it's a pretty big thing to finally be on there. So if that's how you like to consume your audio of any form we're definitely on spotify hey, let us know i, I don't uh, know what should people do follow us on um facebook twitter like what where should we send people to say they should let us know if they listen to us on spotify because I'm, I'm really interested to see if we've gotten any new listeners just because we're on me spotify too. yeah i mean i guess i guess you know facebook is yeah, probably the facebook. easiest thing i mean we're, we're probably we share all of our episodes there anyway and you can stream it through the facebook page too if you prefer to do that um, so yeah, let us know how you're listening to us if you are listening to us, um, because I'm hoping people can find us through Spotify pretty easily, since a lot of people use that. Yeah, come find us on Facebook and let Cambridge Analytica steal your entire identity. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a great thing to do, plan on for the weekend. We're already being tracked by MoviePass. We've been shills for this service that's more or less a drone flying above your head uh, at all times now, so <laughs> we may as well just go all in for Big Brother. Well, that's all we got for this one. We'll see. Uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks when we do the Smoothie Awards. And as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.